I was hanging out with some prayer partners. And um, as God can do through any of us, there was sort of a, a one-line prophecy came out of me. And it was like, when I said it, it's like, oh, that was the Lord. <laughs> Doesn't happen real often, but it has happened enough for me to recognize it. It has to do with this. When Jesus acknowledged that Peter had, had seen by faith through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, had seen that he is indeed the Messiah, he is the Christ, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And uh, the foundation includes Peter. It, the, in, the, in the epistles, we read that uh, the foundation of the church is the apostles. And uh, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And so this church is being built by Jesus. And he says it like this. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, we have, we have said that from a posture of, I will defend my territory. This is mine. God gave it to me. And nobody's going to take it away from me, and I will defend it. And we build our faith up, and, and we, God gave me this. He, he gave me this family, and so I'm going to he gave me these kids, whatever he gave you, and, and we take our stand. And that reminds me of, a, of an old a kind of uh, gospel hymn that um, had this line in it, Hold the fort, for I am coming, Jesus answered still. Wave the answer back to heaven, by thy grace we will. We're going to hold this fort. Well, for goodness sakes, don't retreat. Hold the fort. However, gates are pictured here from the words of the Lord himself. And he said, gates will not be able to overcome the church. Now, how do you engage a gate? It doesn't come after you. You have to go to it. Go up and kick it or batter it, knock on it. Paint it a different color. Do something, but you have to go to it. This is, gates are defensive. Therefore, our defensive posture is inappropriate in light of this in Matthew 16. The gates of hell will not be able to overcome the church that I am building, which means the church is butting its head against the gate, and the gate loses. Now, if it's the gate of somebody else's property or whatever, that's not a good plan. But this is the gates of hell, Hades, in the original language, which means the abode of the dead. And it's the picture in the New Testament of those who are entrapped and enslaved in sin. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. So... <clears throat> We need to think about it like this. We need to get a picture from the Lord about how we can move our prayer and our expectation forward instead of I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand my ground. And standing is, we'll get to that in a minute, it's 
absolutely called for in the scripture. And it's, it's an anointed position, but we, we'll get to there in a minute. Um, so that, uh, and I, I want to jump down in, in this, and I don't know whether um, this will be able to be followed on the, uh, on the screens or not, but I want to jump to Judges, the sixth chapter, and read this. I think, I think this is what I want to say to you. Listen carefully. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Now, you see that picture? Desolate. Absolutely clobbered is the theological term. And some of you have felt or are feeling like that in your stuff. Whatever it is that's in your mind, it's like someone from somewhere has come up Every time you have a little hope and they just wipe you clean of any hope, of any sustenance, of any uh, progress, of any prosperity, uh, happiness, you just, it just goes away. And you find yourself hiding in a cave. Now, you're not all there today, thank God. But some of you can look at certain tracks in your life. And it's like every force but the Holy Spirit seems to be running that track and messing with your stuff or your people or your health or whatever it is. It's like the wheels are off this thing. That's, you know, that's another theological term. The wheels fell off. Here is, here is the picture. I want us to, to get some hope today. So let me just jump on this hope thing. David was a kid, went to the battle line where the uh, Philistines were encamped against uh, and, and opposite the people of Israel. And when he got there, here was what he saw. This giant, over nine feet tall, came out and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Now, this is a, this is a fabulous Fabulous lesson. 
And it's one that I have not taught much. I, I haven't heard it taught enough to have a lot of good material. So we're just winging this in the Lord. Maybe he'll help us this morning. If God gives us a project, let's say that something in our life is, is being attacked. Maybe it's, maybe it's your finances because you lost a job. Maybe it's health because of the big C word. Uh, maybe your kid is acting um, weirdly. There's another theological term. I'm just full of these seminary terms today. Uh, and so whatever it is, and you, you just feel pressed and pushed. And so we take our stand and we fast and we pray and we're serious about the things of God. Listen, I know some of you fast. I fast and I hate it. If you like fasting, I have a theological term for you too, but I won't give it to you. Uh, it's awful. If you miss meals and deal with per- physical hunger for fun, <laughs> no, don't even tell me. I don't, because I think you're lying anyway. Uh, now, the pleasure, there, there can be a great deal of pleasure that comes from fasting, but it's not the physical part, okay? And so, when we, when we get this way, we take our stand and, and we just put it up with unbelief, with fear and all of that stuff, and we duke it out. Sometimes we win, sometimes we don't win so clearly. But I get the feeling that a lot of times we just kind of push the bad back. And we keep waiting for this breakthrough. And the pastor keeps telling us, it's going to come. God's going to do it. He is faithful. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Be filled with hope. Even if circumstances contradict the promises, the promises are unchanged no matter what the circumstances are. You've heard that stuff. You've heard it from someone we know. And it's not wrong. That's not wrong. That's not untrue. But here's the deal. We need some stuff like to, to kind of raise our eyes and look one level over this stuff that's, that's coming against us and just beating the tar out of us. And David responded to that, went out and knocked down Goliath. Now, Goliath was probably out cold. He probably had been hit hard enough with this little rock that he had brain damage, so we probably didn't have to worry about him anymore. What does David do? Say, well, I took care of him. No, man. He goes and gets this guy's sword and, and cuts his head off just in case he's not dead. Just in case. This is called king killing. When the king is dead, the whole army belongs to the opponent who killed the king. You got that? Now hold on to that. Jesus said it like this. How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. Now that makes me see the gates of hell. I want us in our daily prayer to start asking the Lord, okay, what in my life... uh, 
is expressed or is an expression of the gates of hell. I want to begin to identify those things that I'm supposed to kick in. Is that a good prayer? I want to say that again because I don't want you to forget this. Ask the Lord to help you identify those things in your life that are the gates of hell. It could be in the family. It could be on the job. It could be in the neighborhood. If you're in the classroom, um, extended family, government. God, God will put uh, a, a congressman or a senator or a member of the uh, judicial branch or the executive branch of our federal government on, on some of you. He, he scatters this stuff around. He knows what he's doing. He does a good job, by the way. He doesn't make mistakes. Ask him to help you identify the gates of hell that need to not be able to overcome you, but you overcome it. You go in and tie up the strong man and carry off his possessions. Then you can rob his house. Then the gates of hell will be rendered completely ineffective. Completely ineffective. Okay, now that's the introduction. Let's go to the sermon. Ephesians, the sixth chapter, being in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. So let's talk about the nature of this conflict, first of all. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, it's against the spiritual stuff, and we'll get to that in a minute. But what that, in the original language, that word picture there, the struggle, is a wrestling match. And it was a, it was a style of wrestling where there, there were not periods. I, I used to uh, help coach a high school wrestling team, and I officiated wrestling. And uh, one, of, one of my things in helping coach this team was just to work out the heavier weights because in that high school, there were not very many big guys. And uh, so I was, I was the second largest one in the room, aside for the coach. He was pretty big, but he was old. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so I would try to go two minutes hard. Well, I could do that. And there's three periods now, if you wrestled in college, you know that those, they're not two minutes, they're three-minute periods. There are three, three-minute periods. And if you ever watch that on TV or in person, and you see those guys just going at it hard for full three periods, full nine minutes, they are in incredible condition. I've never been in that kind of condition. I didn't really want to do more than about four or five minutes. And I was in plenty of good shape to be able to call two or three wrestling matches in an evening. Um, but, man, that conditioning is amazing. Well, these, this particular kind of wrestling had no, had no periods. And so two guys just went it until one of them would throw the other one down and hold him down, pin him. That was, that was the match. And... Um, so that's the, that's the struggle. It's not a physical wrestling match. You need to eat right, sleep right, uh, exercise sufficiently so that your body maintains reasonable health. But that's not the answer here. Physical conditioning is not the answer. We are wrestling against uh, 
spiritual things, rulers, and these rulers, cosmic powers, the authorities, and these have limited spiritual authority. The powers, uh, these uh, in the the world of the um, New Testament, these powers were trying to take over the world uh, and control it. Then spiritual forces... One commentator thinks this is possibly the language of that time and astrology was a big deal and the heavenly bodies were regarded as the abode of demons that held human lives in their grip. Pagans had no option but to resign themselves to an, to an unalterable destiny. But Christians can fight against such malign forces. Now, that's what they were dealing with back then and that's what they were seeing in their mind's eye. We are dealing with stuff in the spirit, not in the physical. So don't go slap a picket on somebody. Get in your prayer closet, okay? Now, if, if God calls you to slap a picket on somebody, make sure that it's the Lord and be really, really careful about doing it in his name. Um, just a thought. Number two. So here is the plan. Put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, put on the full armor. We've, we've got all this stuff, and I'm not going to take time to go even through those things. You know those wonderful, marvelous lessons have been taught on many quarters about those things, and they're very helpful. Um, here's what I want to say about that. We need to just, the plan is follow Christ, follow the scriptures, follow spiritual growth with this goal the words of Jesus, the, the evening that he instituted the Lord's Supper, the night before he died, he said, I will not speak with you much longer for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. <clears throat> Since I was a teenager and began to get serious about ministry and about the word of God, that, that line has just almost haunted me. King James translates it, he hath Nothing in me. Nothing in me. The prince of this world is coming. And every time he reaches out to grab me, I am totally, totally Teflon. There is nothing that he can grab. Was Jesus' testimony. I believe that's a reasonable goal for every believer in Jesus Christ. We hold things and give the devil a foothold, such as in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, where it says, uh, uh, never go to bed angry. And then it gives this line, don't give the devil a foothold. So if you repress anger and deal with it in a, in a faithless way, in a way of your own strength, Many, many, or I, I would, I guess we could say any other sin that you just kind of gloss over and say, not a big deal. Not a big. Don't do that because <clears throat> that creates a place. Um, give no place to the devil. That word place is from the Greek language. It just means place. It just means a geographical location. It's a spot. And you give that to the devil if you do not deal in the blood of Jesus Christ 
and in faith with your sin. It, I don't think this is a picture of Jesus saying, and of course he never sinned, but I don't think that's what we're seeing here. I think he's saying there has not been any mishandling of life circumstances that would cause me to sin. No mishandling. Everything was met in faith. There was a charismatic teacher, now, he's now deceased, and he was working from this passage in Ephesians 4 where it says, give no place to the devil. And he said, another way to see that is that when you do one of these sins and you just kind of act like it's not a big deal, deal with it later. It's like you grow a handle on your soul, which is your mind, your will, your emotions. And his picture was that every little two-bit demon that comes floating by can grab that handle and just beat you around, just throw you up against the wall. I think that's what we see with stuff like road rage. Somebody is not dealing with their anger in the small ways and it gets larger than they are and makes them do absolutely idiotic things that cannot be explained. I'm gonna kill him because he cut me off. Yeah, now that makes a lot of sense. Do you see that? You know what? Um, We've got to have this. He has no hold on me. I want that. I want that. I am not even close. I think I'm closer than I used to be. Oh, I hope, Lord. But I want that. I want that for you. That way, if somebody comes along and they're critical about your Sunday school teacher or about the deacon or about one of the pastors, and, and you recognize, you know, they're just, they're just really kind of cutting and tearing. That it's just kind of like, if, if the Lord won't let you correct them, it just kind of goes, nothing. There's nothing to, for, for evil to hang on to. You get a, you get a bad medical report. And uh, it's okay to have a, a bad moment as you process this. But when you bring this and present it before the Lord... You're, if, if you walk with God, you're going to say, <clears throat> you know, this looks to me like it could kill me. And I'm kind of torn because they're going to want me to go to all kinds of, of lengths to get this cured so that I don't die. But if I die, I go be with Jesus. You didn't get it, did you? Do you? You say, well, I've got my kids. Or in my case, I got my wife and my grandkids. And I, I, I like them all. And I, you know, hey, it's not a death wish. It's a, it's a position of total trust in the Lord so that if he heals me, I'll get to hang with this beautiful girl and with those great kids and their mommies and daddies even. You know, it's like, I've got a lot of stuff going that I really do like in this life. But none of it comes close to the way God is in heaven. And we've got, if we can keep that, you know, if, I guess the ultimate threat is, well, if you don't do that, I'll kill you. That's probably the ultimate threat. And I want us to be able to say, so, shoot, Freedom, freedom, 
Satan has no hold on me. That is what we want. All right. And so here's the way it works. And that I read to you judges. And here is this awful devastation from these people who came in and just for the... Well, they, they enjoyed their, they enjoyed their um, ability to, you know, get the crops that the Hebrews had, had planted. And that, but, but a lot of it was just, was just stinky. Let's go hurt them. You know, and we don't like those people. Uh, they don't think our gods are real. Uh, let's, go show them, let's go show them whose gods are real. And so, in the face of that... Gideon is raised up. Gideon doesn't have any faith. God has to start from scratch, kind of like with all of us. And he gets him built up and gets him built up and gets him built up until he is willing to call the army together and he gets um, 32,000. The Lord says that's too many. Um, So... Tell those that are afraid to go home. And so two-thirds of them went home. <laughs> the honest people. And, um, and, and so now he's got 10,000. God says, that's too many. And, and he sifted them down to 300. Now, that's absurd, okay? F- from the flesh. And uh, then the Lord took them at night and with a plan that was just you know, this, this would have to be from the Lord. And there was already a spirit of fear over that whole enemy camp. And when, when this racket and all these hundreds of uh, clay pots begin to be thrown onto rocks and, and just shattered and these lights were shining and these shofars were sounding, these guys, the enemy, thought that every enemy army in the world was coming against them and they just panicked and if anybody got close to them they'd kill him as they were running and they just they just were gone and so Gideon called together a whole whole host of people and and they they begin to pursue these people and and just kind of slaughter them and a couple of the kings were killed by uh, the Ephraimites that had responded to this, that second call of Gideon, but Zeba and Zalmanna. Now, those are familiar terms. But Zeba and Zalmanna were kings. And they, they didn't have enough army left to threaten anyone unless there was just three of you. I mean, they were, they were pretty scattered and pretty defeated, pretty shattered. And Gideon is still, he is still pursuing him. His men are exhausted. They're half starved now. Their blood sugar is low. And they're kind of, they're trying to run, but their feet are dragging and their chin is bouncing on their chest. They're they're just out of it. But he finally pursues them and kills these last two guys, Zeba and Zalmanna. Why? It's this principle of when the king is dead, the army is defeated. Now, in this case, they had to kill most of the army before they got to the kings, but he didn't let up. 
And that's a picture that I want us to have in our hearts that we will follow this prayer thing through until Zeba and Zalmunna are dead. So what is the posture? Well, back in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. And man, does that, does that appeal to us? Those of us who are perfectionists, we love that strong thing anyway. And the rest of us just like, oh, gosh, let me at him. You know, and we, we get a sermon on spiritual authority, and it's just like, where's the devil? And I've heard people say that. Now, I don't, I don't want that because Jesus, whom I trust more than a lot of us preachers, as a matter of fact, more than all of us preachers, I trust him. At any rate, he's the one that taught us to pray, keep me from the evil one. So I don't want to meet Satan, okay? If I meet him, the Lord will have to just do his thing because I'm not looking for him. However, some of these kings, are, they're, they're much smaller deals way down the line from Satan. But they do have control over some stuff that is, that is punishing us. Some of you are being punished in your lifestyle. Stuff just goes wrong. If it can go wrong, it will go wrong. Every time a chance comes up for something to kind of go wrong, I just, and I know about it, I just kind of groan and I'm thinking, oh no. And I'm right. <laughs> That's what's bad. You say, well, if you had some faith, no, it's not my fault. Get over it. So be strong in the Lord. Okay, it's be strong in the Lord. So that really appeals to our flesh. And it says then, uh, three or four verses later, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Now, those, those verses appeal to our flesh. But that's the very passage that says our struggle is not fleshly. This is not a physical wrestling match. And so when it says be strong in the Lord, I'm going, to, I'm going to demonstrate what I believe it means when it says be strong in the Lord and when it says in having done everything to stand. It means this is being strong in the Lord. This is standing. Now, you know that we all say our greatest power is in prayer. Now, we don't believe that, but we've read the book. We know we're supposed to say that. We've heard sermons. We know we're supposed to say that. Do we pray? Well, some people actually do. And that's pretty scary for the devil. One of the quotes that I ran into again, it's all over the place when you start looking at prayer. Satan trembles when the weakest saint is on his knees. And I am calling you today to say, God, I don't know what the preacher's talking about. And if you do, you need to tell me because I don't know what I'm talking about. Except I read this here and I believe this. And I believe that if we will, will humble ourselves, fast pray, move into prayer and let the Lord guide us, that we will be able to find the pathway to the gates of hell, to use that figure, and kick those 
gates in. Absolutely kick them in. And that will, in a sense of the word, be doing what this other thing is, and that's bind the strong men or, to change the figure slightly, kill the king. When the king is dead, when, when Goliath is dead, the enemy army runs. How do we kill Goliath? In prayer. We do it in prayer. If there is one picture that shows the power of prayer, it's the story of David and Goliath. This kid who has no hope of defeating this guy. And, and David is from a family that would be, they would all be professional athletes in our culture. They were, they were absolutely incredible physical specimens. And he was, he was almost, well, not quite. He was less than two-thirds the height. of. <clears throat> let's say he was 60% as tall. As Goliath, and Goliath is a warrior from youth, and he's fully outfitted in this armor. And David has no helmet. He has no breastplate. He didn't even have his bulletproof vest on. He has no greaves. He's got on the equivalent, as far as protection, he's got on the equivalent of flip-flops. And he's got a slingshot. He's a little kid. And he kills the king. And the enemy is destroyed. So that's a picture of God Almighty through people that are not physically. It's not about your qualifications. It's about his power. Oh, God, help us. Lord God, help me. Help us to see this. We have taken so much in so many areas off the enemy. And the king needs to die. Those rulers and powers and authorities need to be destroyed so that our kids can be saved, so that addictions can be broken, so that marriages can be saved, so that finances can be restored. Oh, God. Come upon us today. We can't do this. You are not strained at all to do it. And so I look to you for every heart. Lord, as I have preached, these hearts have identified these things. They have identified these these areas that where the enemy has come in and just devastated the land. And I ask you to cause us to begin to see it doesn't have anything to do with our righteousness. It really doesn't have much to do with our understanding. It has to do with our dependence on you. And I see David saying, why is this guy getting by with this? Who is this? He is nobody. Because David wasn't comparing himself to Goliath. He was comparing God to Goliath. Not a good match. Lord, help us to move into that. Help us to move into that so that everything that we need can come to us 
in this way. Would you remain with your heads bowed, please? I first of all want to invite you, if you're not walking with Jesus, to to identify yourself. We're going to have a prayer with you in a minute. And and if you're not walking with the Lord, you, you, you don't belong to Jesus, really. Would you just raise your hand? If you were to die, you, you don't have any reason to think that you would go to heaven. I don't, I don't want you to come here and not have opportunity to turn to the Lord because Jesus died on the cross because of your sins and all of the stuff that you've done wrong, he paid for on the cross. And now you can move into the life that he had while he was on this earth since he was willing to move into what you deserve when he was here. Is there anyone? Now let me just say this to you. If you're not walking with the Lord, don't let this... Don't let this day end without coming to God. He, wherever you are, he is there. He is after you, not to hurt you, but to save you, but to lift you up, build you up, fill you up with himself. Move in on it. Don't hold back. And then church, there is a, would you just look up here at me? There is a, 